or for those of you who have not joined us in the past uh, in the past year, or have not joined us since the past year, uh, I have some very special people in my life, and these are very special people now in the house because Pastor Scott and Marsha now have been speaking into Antioch for six years. I mean, that's pretty significant. And they have been a part of my life for 24 years. 24 years. Pastor Scott and Marsha Hawksworth were my youth pastors when I was was a knucklehead. Uh, just a 16-year-old knucklehead. I'm, I'm kind of still, I'm talking about 40-year-old knucklehead now. But, you know, there's, there's gradations. You know, there's variations of knuckleheadedness. There's, there's the 16-year-old, then there's the 40-year-old. The stakes are higher now. The filters were less then, and they had to put up with all that. But these guys have been such an incredible voice. They have been fathers and mothers in my life. They've been mentors, coaches, counselors. They've been friends. They've wept with me. They've uh, been so instrumental in pouring out love and life into our marriage and into our family. And they carry you. They carry this house. They actually keep us as a people in front of their church on a regular basis. How amazing is that? Their church prays for us. And, uh, and they carry us deeply. So for those of you today who may be a first-time guest, or for those of you who have just been a part of Antioch for several months, I'd like to introduce to you some dear friends of mine, Pastor Scott and Marsha Hawksworth, to come and minister the word of the Lord to you. Will you help me in honoring uh, Scott and Marsha? Thank you. Praise God. It's so good to be here. Um, the, lovely, the lovely woman here is uh, my prize on earth, and I'm so thankful. And so um, uh, you want to greet everybody, prize? Well, I'm not going to, I am not going to speak long because I know this man has got a word shut up in his bones ready for you. But I just want to say that I am so excited about this next season in your journey. And I'm excited the next time we come, you'll be in a building. How exciting is that? I mean, we are, we are so excited for you. And I'm sure he's going to tell you about it, but we're about to go mobile. And we're very excited about it. <laughs> I guess we're very weird. But um, we're only going to do that for about a year and a half because we're going to be building a church. And um, that in itself is just a miracle story. But um, he'll tell you about that. But we're going to be gleaning from your wisdom of seven years doing this. But we are so excited about what God's got for you, the next, the next page in your story and the next kind of leg in your journey. And Antioch, God's got great things for you. And we're just so excited about this and excited what God's doing for you guys. And we have been and will continue to pray for you because we are part of you and you are part of us. We're family. We're part of the body of Christ. So um, blessings. It's so good to be with you today. Thank you. You're hot. <laughs> We've, we bring greetings from, uh, from Faith Point, not just greetings, but deep, heartfelt relationship. 
um, blessings from Faith Point. It was our privilege to be with y'all on this very uh, beginning, the kickoff day of your uh, campaign. And uh, Faith Point happily and joyfully gave online just now uh, into this. And so we are so excited to be among the first to sow seeds here. Um, we do that because we believe in, uh, in Pastor Jade, we believe in the vision and the, the assignment that God has given Antioch. And six years, uh, we've been coming here, uh, and, and we feel like we're at home. We know that we're at home. We have some esteemed relationships and some, uh, some dear friends here, and hopefully are making new friends each time that we come here. And, and I want to share... I don't know what I'm going to share because I tell you what, you plan something, then the Lord starts opening his mouth, and that's what we want. But it's like, okay, God, I had you pegged a minute ago, and now you're going all over the place here. So, uh, But uh, before I even get into the word God gave me, let me share with you just what he spoke to me um, during worship and sitting here, and then he confirmed it as he began speaking to Marsha. Six years, I couldn't remember how many years that we'd been here, Pastor Jade, um, but a lot of time, a lot of sin has passed through the blood of Jesus through all that time. A lot of seeds have been sown during that time. A lot of roots have reached down deep during that time. A lot of those roots have been uprooted. A lot of shaking has loosed the chaff in Antioch. A lot of the chaff has been blown away by the Holy Spirit. And there has been left some raw, exposed, and very alive fruit. And then when I sat down, Marcia said, uh, I went to the back and I, I was praying over, over Antioch during worship. And um, I wanted to see, when I worship with you up here, it's really good, but I don't get to see and I wanted to see the body of Antioch after six years. I wanted to see the body that has gone through uh, change and who's gone through uprooting or moving or morphing or whatever. You know, I wanted to see it in action and see you worshiping. And, and I know what I saw in the spirit. And I came down and Marcia said, uh, Scott, she goes, I just see hairline fractures in the skeletal structure of, of Antioch. And a lot of times people don't know something is broken because they don't see a break or they don't see a bone protruding. And all they know is there's pain from weight. And the Lord says today that he wants to remove burdens and weights that are weighing down on hairline fractures on the skeletal part, the, the, the bone part. So the pain in there, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So he wants you to not own that pain of what has happened. He doesn't want you to own the weariness and the pain of anything you've passed through or that has happened or of mistakes or of unforgiveness or any of that. He's provided the means by which all of those weights which so easily ensnare us and encumber us to be lifted off so the joy of the Lord can be the exchange in it. And it's very important because the word that the Lord gave me to sum up, uh, he, he gave me one word over you today, and that word is assignment. Assignment. 
And I do not know what your assignment is, but he said just to say the word assignment to you because Pastor Jade knows what the assignment is. You're just to know that the devil desperately wants you not to be focused on that assignment. He desperately wants you to miss that assignment, to be deunified, fractured. He wants you to be scattered and focused on whatever little hurt there might be so you can't focus on the assignment. Now, you uh, need to recognize the significance of timing, of me being here, of us being here today when you're beginning this important stage of your assignment. A lot of people want to know all the details of the assignment before they step into it. No, just realize you're a part of the army on a mission. You just need to know what your part is in it and allow the general, allow the Holy Spirit to guide that pastor, that that leadership as you go forward. This is a keynote day. This is a a remarkable day in your history. You're beginning to do things that you couldn't do a year ago. You're about to launch and embark in a mission, in a part of your assignment that could not have been done a year ago. But I promise you, more than a year ago, it was deeply embedded into Pastor Jade and Christie's hearts. The vision that God was bringing to fulfillment in Colorado Springs. This is indeed a unique and a special church. Antioch has a divine purpose, just like Faith Point in Colleen, Texas. So the Lord wants to say a few things to you today, and so um, I'd like to begin in um, Psalms 23, and then we're going to go a few places. I may stop here and there and, and tangent out here and, and meander over here, but I promise you that under the Lord's leading, every bunny trail will be anointed, Holy Ghost filled, and sometimes humorous, Because if it isn't fun, I don't like to do it. Psalms 23. How many of you remember that that psalm? The 23rd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Woo! That feels good. Of all the scriptures in the Bible, this is one of the favorites. You go to places that aren't even believers in Christ, not even God followers, and you'll find this on funerals. You'll find it, you'll find it stated because it is comfort. It, it, uh, I can think of nothing as comforting as the image produced by these verses of those who trust in the Lord and being cared for as his sheep by the most supreme of shepherds. It addresses, this just this small portion of scripture addresses all of the areas of comfort that we seem to seek and we need in times of sickness, loss of loved ones, 
times of stress, times of lack, times of confusion, and seemingly no direction. But there's a part of this uh, psalm that seems to just, we glance by it, seemed, or we skim over it, and it's a societal problem that's universal for all of us. We find it in verse 5, and I want to hone in on it for a few minutes this morning, and, uh, and that's where I want to acquire our text. And I want you to say it with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Say that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We always kind of go past that one real quick because it's got the word enemies in it. And, and I like the oil part, and I like the, the green pastures part, and I like the cool water, and oh, all the presence of the Lord thing. How many of you have ever experienced, or maybe you are now experiencing, conflict? How many of you deep, desperate liars? <laughs> then get your hands up. Yeah, we, we, life is full of conflict, right? It is full of conflict. Life involves conflict. And I don't want to burst your bubble, but every one of you have enemies. Not everybody likes you. <laughs> I did hear somebody go, oh, oh, shoot. <laughs> shoot. Not everybody is your fan. Not everybody wants you to succeed. Not everybody believes in your dreams, and not everybody believes in your ambitions not everybody loves and is happy for your choices and some of the ones that I've just described are actually falling into the enemy category and this is an important truth for us to grasp today because it's the first step to true happiness and so I want you to say this with me this morning not everybody likes me. Now, if you just feel like you made a negative confession, I just pulled that off of you for a second because actually I just changed your life. Not everybody, I gave you freedom. Not everybody likes me. You may not realize it, but yes, your life has changed if you'll embrace that. Now let's get on with that happy life that I was talking to you about. It's such an important truth that we just said that I'm going to make it my first point today. Not everybody likes me. We are surrounded by enemies, whether you know it or not. And enemies want something for you. They do. I think, well, that makes them not enemies if they want something for me. You know, I like to surround myself with people that want something for me, want you to win. I want you to go. I want you to succeed. I want you to smile. Your enemies want two things for you, failure and defeat. They do. That would make them happy. And how do they accomplish this? And there's three ways. Through passive disregard. And that's accomplished simply by not paying attention to you, offering no help. These are the people who show less care for you than other people do. Now, right now, you're probably trying to write a, okay, writing a list down there of the people who show less care so you can have pastoral proof that they are your enemy. <laughs> Don't have to get them anything for Christmas now. You're off, the, you're off the list. 
But don't call people who don't respond to your Facebook posts enemies, okay? If they didn't go to your pampered chef party, it might be because they had other plans. They might have been on vacation. They have a life. They're not enemies. But passive disregard, not going to look their way because if they have need, I don't even want to know it. Another way that they accomplish those two things is through deceit. Or I call it sometimes feigned friendship. Feigned friendship. They maintain a friendship in order to keep a voice of influence in your life. And they do this not because they're interested in getting you where you want, but keeping you from what they want. Feigned friendship. And then the third way that this uh, failure and de- defeat that they want for you is accomplished through cruelty, fear, and aggression. Now that seems to be the one that we think of the most when we're thinking of enemies. The enemy is the one that's coming up with us, you know, just... But I like those kind of enemies because I can dodge them. It's harder as I get older, but I can still do it. Dodge them. It's those other two. But the, the aggression, it's a fight against this can be exhausting. It can be fierce. And we can end up actually losing more than just the battle. We can actually lose our intimacy with, with God. We can lose our hope. We can actually end up backsliding. And I will talk to you about that in just a minute. Uh, Now, thinking about that, these big statements that I've made this morning that not everybody likes me, that we're surrounded by enemies, as I I propose that to you this morning, especially to those that think, no, everybody does like me. I've I've got 17,000 Facebook friends, and, and I'm liked by so many people on social media. First of all, get in the real world. Second of all, uh... Let me, I'm trying to make your life better and help you because we're going to get back to this assignment that God has for Faith Point, excuse me, for Antioch, yes, and Faith Point. God has an assignment for us. So what hope is there then if here we are surrounded by enemies and maybe some of them we're even not aware of because they can be feigned friendship or, or the passive uh, disregard or these others, how what hope is there unless you are a what I call spiritual behemoth of warfare? Unless you are just so close to the edge of the throne of God that you can see everything in the Spirit. What hope is there for us then? And the answer is really found in Romans 8.38. If God is for us, who can be against us? Whew. And that's nice because not everybody is of the spiritual warfare behemoth variety. Some of us are just... Average Joes that go through life with the Bible here and we mess up every now and then, but we know that we're a part of God's family and he's got great things for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now in this, the us includes all, even those and especially those that are not of the spiritual warfare behemoth type that I was talking about. If God is for us... Every highest to lowest. This scripture gives me my response to the statement that I had us made earlier. Remember the one at the beginning, not everybody likes me. And so my response based on Romans 8.31, my response to that is this. But God does. 
Very simple truth this morning. Not everybody likes me. Very good. Not everybody likes me today, but surrounded by enemies who want me to fail, and I'm not liked by everybody, but God does. That kind of gives me a good hope today. He proved that by giving his son to die on the cross for us, right? To purchase our eternal soul, to have us with him in his, in his presence for eternity. All right, so I, I spent a little time letting you know my first point this morning. Not everybody likes me. Let's quickly skip over to point number two, and that's when we're surrounded, have a party. It's getting good, y'all. When surrounded, because we're surrounded by enemies. When we're surrounded, have a party. So now let's get to the how and why. I like a party, but it's not always feasible, not always affordable, not always practical, not always wise, not always smart, not always the proper time, place, and all that stuff. But right now I'm saying when we're surrounded, have a party. Well, please give me the how and the why. Well, first let's look at the one scripture that says, He prepares a table before us in the presence of my enemies. He prepares. When I'm surrounded by enemies, he prepares a table. That word prepare means to arrange, to set or lay out, to put in order, to ordain, to handle, to furnish. It's not an accident. It's not just something tossed out there or scattered there like you're in the Hunger Games and here comes a little parachute with a box that maybe you can catch and get there and maybe survive another day. No, he prepares something prepackaged, something specific, something expected to be indulged in, something expected to be taken by you, the one that he's prepared it for. It's for you. It's made for you. It's nourishing to you. It has a design and a purpose that's pointed to and sufficient to your assignment. You're surrounded by enemies. This assault of the enemy demands our utmost attention. We don't have time to take our eyes off of the fray and look at the table of the Lord. That's what goes on in my mind. That's part of the, why well, have a party? Come on, I've got, there's, there's warfare going on. I've got to have my spidey senses in lock. I've got to be aware. I've got to have my armor on and polished. I've got to be looking at it all the time. I don't have time to take my eyes off of this and go looking for this table that's prepared for me. And that's why a lot of times in the middle of battle, in the middle of of the hardest times of our life, we start to deteriorate spiritually. A lot of times during those hard times, we feel like God isn't even there. I don't know if you've ever been there before. 2016 was the suckiest year of my life, theologically speaking. I went to places as a pastor and as a child of God and as a minister and as a human being and as a man, as flesh and bone. I went to places that I never could believe that my loving Heavenly Father would allow me to go to because I am loved by Him. I found myself in some of the loneliest places and oh, God knows how to accomplish his will in your life. But the one thing that I've always rested on, when it gets so dark, when it gets, there's two things that I never doubt. The love of that woman and the love of my God. Never doubt that. And they are always there for me, have always been there for me through my lowest and lowest and lowest times. 
I thought it was extremely cruel of the Lord to allow me to go through the deepest, darkest, dark night of the soul and valley of despair when this woman wasn't just out of our city or out of state, but she was out of country for 10 solid days. And guess which one of those 10 days this catastrophe happened? Day one. It could have, Lord, why not day nine? She'll be home tomorrow to help me comfort. But no, day one, while she's on the plane on her way to Ecuador, my life transforms overnight. The deepest betrayals, the deepest hurts from the closest of friends stabbed me in places and ways that only uh, Caesar would know, <laughs> I suppose. Et tu, Brute? And I couldn't even let my wife know because I'm not about to pour anything heavy on her in foreign country when she's leading a mission for 10 days. And in my sorrow, I just knew when I left that five-hour meeting where every accusation and every horrible, foul thing could be said about me, my calling, the vision, the direction, and the things that God has spoken to me, the very most intimate things, when those were just ripped apart and I went home, I knew that when I got home, the Lord would be waiting for me with two angels and some manna, maybe a jar of water at least, a tuna fish sandwich, but none of that showed up. And I figured, okay, Lord, I'll wake up in the morning and, and you'll meet me. And he didn't show up. He didn't show up when I opened up the Word of God. I rehearsed the last 30 years worth of how he had taught me to hear him and the way that he had taught me to walk and the way that he had expressed himself to me. None of those were happening. And so I just... I just became this carnal guy. I thought, well, I need to eat a lot of food. Cheetos was the main choice. I found a lot of cool stuff on Netflix. Found some stupid stuff there, too. Three and four in the morning, you can... Anyway, I really anesthetized my pain because I couldn't find the Holy Spirit in it anywhere. And so I say all that and I pour it out there because... It's during those times of battle, intense warfare, uh, when you have been so low-blowed by the enemy that your bones become brittle and your soul is parched and you find out that you're really a human. Man, you think of all the times that you were just carried by the winds of the Spirit of God above all this. Whoo! And it hurts. This assault demands your utmost attention. You don't have time to take your eyes off the fray and look for the table of the Lord, but the reminder is that the table of the Lord is not hidden. You don't have to dig around for it. It's not waiting to be purchased or ordered. You don't have to wonder, is it good for me to eat here? Is it a good time? Where was my table? I'm going to get back to that in a minute because right now I just want to maybe address the fact that, uh, that you as an individual or, or you as a, a married couple, are you as a family, are you as, faith, uh, as Antioch? I'm going to marry our two churches here before it's over here. I'm calling as faith point. You as Antioch. 
I'm looking at all those different categories. I'm saying perhaps you've gone through what I'm talking about, are going through it. And I, I will probably venture to say you are because over the last year in our fellowship and in the, the, the seat that I sit on in our fellowship, I've done a lot of traveling and talked to a lot of pastors, and their 2016s were equally horrendous. And they all looked for that table in the wilderness. They all looked for that fruit from the Lord. So I'd venture to say that some of you, if not more than just a few of you, know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so that table is there. It's not hidden. And I want to get, get it out of our mind right now that you don't have to worry about taking your eyes off of the enemy to sit there and start hunting for what the Lord has prepared for you. First of all, you just need to know it is not hidden you don't have to dig around for it. It's not waiting to be purchased or ordered. You don't have to wonder if it's a good thing or fitting for you at this time. That word table, that Hebrew word table, it means king's table. Every time that it's used in scripture, it's not just talking about what we're thinking of when we go home and we sit at our table that sometimes substitutes for a desk, sometimes substitutes for a catch-all. No, this is a king's table. A king's table is a long, large, big very sturdy, very prepared, very ornate recipient of all sorts of good stuff. A banquet. And everything on that table is expected by the king to be indulged in. Now, I don't know if you've ever been invited to a nice dinner and you go out and it's above what your means are or certainly not where you would go unless... You know, you won the lottery or somebody, so you came up to, came into some money and you just, okay, we're going to do it right. But you go there and you sit down there and, and you're wondering what to order. So what do you do? I'll order last. I just can't make up my mind. No, we know what you're doing. You're scoping out to see what the guy who's paying for it's going to order. If he gets the lobster, okay, going lobster. If he goes, mm, you know what, I think me and my wife are going to split a salad. You go, oh, shoot. <laughs> Really wanted the breadsticks this time, but I, you know what? That's exactly what me and my wife were going to do. We think, man, I'd really love to go to this five-star restaurant and get a salad and split it. It's what I always wanted to do if I had a chance to go to a really nice restaurant. Mmm. They have the best iceberg lettuce at this restaurant. <laughs> but no... <laughs> When you go there and you, you, you go, okay, they, they didn't put a limit on me. I'm here and they're taking us out. You know what? I'm having the, I'm having the roast beef. Or, you, 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 and when you sit at the king's table, he's not expecting you to go, you know what? I'm not sure if he can afford this. This is an awful lot. I'll, have the, I'll just have the, the broccoli, just steamed broccoli. That's it, all I'm having. And, man, you're looking past all the lamb, and you're looking past all the, all the stuff, and all the vegan stuff, too, that's over there as well that's really nice, good, cool vegan stuff. But and then all the meat, you know, that's the, that I'm going to be eating over here. But what do you think the Lord's thinking when you sit down at the banqueting table of the Lord and then you're just very polite and no, thank you so much. It is expected that you indulge those things. Therefore, a pre it's a banquet in the presence. Now, let's go to that phrase, in the presence of my enemies. So we know that that statement about the banqueting table, the table is talking about a banqueting table of the king. That's the word that specifically used this phrase, in the presence of my enemies, is really a very strong word that means to, 
confined or be in a narrow strait. To be in distress or to have distress caused to you. To be besieged and to be bound. Things, situations that tie you up and bind you and shut you up and keep you from a fulfilling and accomplishing or even getting involved with the assignment that's been given to you. When things are so scant or cramped that you're in straits, you can say, I'm in the presence of my enemies. Because we all know this, that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against those spiritual forces behind them. So although you may not have a name of an individual or organization that you can hang that accusation of enemy on, there are demons that really are terrified of you getting this message and getting your assignment in your family, your household, your, your surname, whatever that is, or Antioch Church to advance his assignment. And so... How many of you have been in straits before? You've been in a narrow place, or maybe this year you found yourself in a narrow place. You know what? This message really works today if we put, out, put down our defenses. This wor- message really works if we lay it all down and don't say, I don't know this guy very well, and I'm going to be holy and spiritual and everything. Come on. You and I are both. There's none righteous. None. None. It's the blood of Jesus that covers us all. Let's just get real and advance the kingdom of God today, can we? How many of you found yourself in 2016 in a straight, in a narrow place, cramped in your vision and in what you were supposed to do by a situation, by a, somebody, a feigned friendship, somebody who hurt you, a situation, whatever it is, Get those hands up right now because I'm telling you, every, every hand that we see raised up is a stress fracture. Stress fractures hurt when weight is put upon them, but God has got a load for y'all to carry that is going to be a joy. At the Lord's table, in the presence of our enemy, you are the Lord's guest, and there's nothing that those onlooking enemies can do. You sit at the Lord's table in the presence of your enemies. They look, and there's nothing that they can do. And I want you to think about this. If you feel that you're not getting anything from the Lord because you've been so focused on the enemy like I was talking about, you've been so busy fighting the enemy that you just feel numb, you don't feel like the Lord has spoken to you, then you may not have noticed that there is a table. It's right there in front of you. So picture this scene. You're hot and you're exhausted You're a fugitive. You're running for your life. You're being pursued and hunted by the forces of a very fierce enemy who wants revenge on you. But you stumble upon a tent of a desert man. He tells you to come in. But you don't just enter into this man's tent. You also enter into the hospitality, the protection of the culture of the Arab people. To injure a guest is a mark of the deepest depravity. And the Lord purposely draws out this image to show us as we stay in the tent of the Lord at the Lord's table that if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, I used to think about that image of the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of an enemy, and I pictured it in such Western uh, imagery, and I saw myself sitting at a table with enemies around me, and I thought, man, that, I'm sorry, that would just make my appetite go away. I would sit there and not be able to eat because my stomach would be knotted up because as soon as I get up from this table, I still have enemies. 
Okay, thanks, Lord. This is great. We had a party, got the party hat. I've got the shirt and I've got all that. But when I leave, those guys are following me. That's not the image here. The image is sitting there in the shelter cover and protection at a banquet, and there's nothing the enemy can do. Nothing to do because you are under the divine cover and divine culture of heaven. That's a safe place. Now, that's how to have a party when surrounded. Because it's there for you. Now let's go to the why have a party. I told you the how and the why are, are important. The how is because you're there in God's tent. Now the why I find from 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 14 and 17. You don't necessarily need to turn We're not going to read it. But the thing, it's this great story I like because um, the enemies of Israel have been raiding them and trying to attack them but you know the prophet and everything's got a really tight relationship with God and every time there is an ambush set for them the prophet would tell the king hey man they've got an ambush set for you and so they would escape all the is great until the frustrated king of the enemies of Israel said okay which one of you guys is against us I'm frustrated. Come on, which one of you are telling them? And somebody said, hey, they've got a prophet guy. He knows God. God tells them all, their, all the stuff. So he goes, well, then let's kill the prophet guy. Which that's just stupid thinking right there because if the prophets, anyway. No wonder the king ends up getting defeated. So. And so the story goes that uh, that. The prophet Elisha ends up waking up in the morning. His servant notices that the ambush has taken place and they are surrounded by enemies. Surrounded by the enemy and he freaks out. And he says these words. He says in verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 6, Alas, what shall we do? Might have been a, a, a rallying or it might have been a, a shout that came out of your mouth in 2016 alas what shall we do and the answer to this is shown in verse 16 and this is actually always the answer first the prophet says well do not fear okay that's the very first thing he says is do not fear and the next reason the next thing he says is the the important part he goes those who are with us are more than those who are with them those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. So you are surrounded by enemies who are surrounded by enemies. That's why I have a party. So the the why or, or the how is the tent of the Lord that I told you about. The why is because you're surrounded by enemies that are surrounded by enemies. Now I just find tremendous comfort in that. I am surrounded by enemies, yes, all the time, but those enemies are surrounded by their enemies who are bigger, faster, stronger, holy, straight from the throne of God, and they are on my side. They like me. Remember, not everybody likes me, but God does, and he's surrounded my enemies with them, all right? And finally, we'll bring this to a close with a couple of these things. One of my favorite commercials gives me my last point. You're not yourself 
when you're hungry. Let's see if we can get our image up there. Yeah. I love this image. What a great marketing campaign. Betty White playing football. How many of you have seen that commercial? You know, right? She's sitting there and she's just crying, just Betty White, and then and then she just lamb just run over and everything. She eats the Snickers bar. Oh, okay. You're not yourself when you're hungry. So if you're not unwrapping this Snickers bar, the banquet of the Lord, then you are not yourself. Meaning that you don't know who you really are. Meaning that you forget your identity is in God, not what the enemy thinks of you. See, the enemy's ploy is to let you think of yourself the things he thinks of you. This message was birthed at a funeral. And I was talking to Pastor Jade about this yesterday. I was sitting at a funeral for the first time in a year I was going to be facing the very person who plunged the sword into my soul that I was talking to you a minute ago. I was going to be facing him. And you know what? I had masterfully navigated, Marsha and I both had masterfully navigated the year avoiding places where this person might be. How much faith was displayed in that? I could likely say the Lord directed my steps and none of them ended up in this guy's presence and everything. And I, I tell you what, the, his presence, the, the meeting, the things he said, my love for him over the past 20 years, all of those came back time after time in dreams. And meeting him showed up many times in dreams and each time that dream was we look at each other and it's, that was, that was my dream. But I also didn't know what the reality would be, and I found myself at a funeral. And I'm sitting at the funeral, and there he is. The Lord, on the way to the funeral, as I was actually expressing some, uh, some concern in my heart, the Lord told me, focus on who I say you are and not who he says you are. And suddenly I realized for the last 20 years, there had been a whole lot of me basing my actions, even as a pastor, on some of the things that he said that I was and wanted me to be. See, because he had an agenda to keep me leading Faith Point in a certain direction that God wasn't leading. See, God doesn't give other people. He gives the pastor the vision and the leading for his body. And I understood that, and all the way there, I am thinking about who the Lord says I am. And by the time I got there, I was ready. When I saw this man, it was so awkward as he looked at me and he tried to pretend I wasn't there. I wasn't having none of that. And I came up and I just hugged him. I said, it's good to see you. Okay. It was very awkward for him. We sat in the funeral and he sang a song and I was going to bring part of the message. And as I'm sitting there, the Lord spoke these words. He said, Scott, you are in the presence of your enemy. And it was at that point that I realized how repulsed I had been by that verse 5 all these years. And I didn't know I'd been repulsed by it because I didn't think I had any enemies. Because if I love you, you're not my enemy. See, because I look at you from my view. I don't look at myself from your view. And so if I love you, I'm not thinking that you don't like me. Because I give people the benefit of the doubt. I believe their words. I give them the first benefit of the doubt. Especially when somebody says they love you and they're your partner and your friend for, for years. And he says, Scott, you're sitting in the presence of your enemies. And I, I thought, are, you, are you, you're talking about him. And I suddenly realized all these years, the food, the things on the table that I'd missed because I'd been focused on 
pacifying and keeping peace there and not acknowledging that I can love my enemies. I just got to acknowledge they're my enemy. And how is it that he was my enemy? He hated the thing that God was having me do. And anything that's an enemy of the word and will of God, I will cast down. The word gives me that authority. We cast down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so when I realized that I had a peace and I left that day at complete and beautiful peace, realizing that I was hearing from God like never before. And he said, it's because now you found my table. Let me close with this couple of things and then a quick testimony. Ephraim, a long time ago, has an experience discussed in Psalms 78. Psalm 78, verse 9 through 11, it says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. You see, they were armed and carrying bows. That means they knew their assignment. But they turned back from it in the day of battle. In the day of battle is another word of saying, another way of saying in the presence of your enemies. They did not keep the covenant of the Lord, verse 10. They did not keep the covenant of the Lord. They refused to walk his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. All this in spite of having not only the resources and the training and the history of God's provision and protection, they chose not to engage the enemy. Ephraim's turning from battle led to turning from the Lord. Verse 19 says, yes, they spoke against God. And they said, can he prepare a table in the wilderness? Their question, there's battle all around us. How could God feed and nurture us? Everybody hates us. We're surrounded by enemies. Could God even put a table in the wilderness and do what I've been preaching to you all this time? You see, it's in the battle that's waged to defend our inheritance and blessings that our inheritance and blessings actually become more precious to us. It's when we're fighting for them. It's when we're setting up every Sunday morning for seven years that the inheritance that, that, that we have that God's promised is more precious. That's why there may not be the same people here seven years later as there were because it's hard to set up and be mobile for seven years. But see, God shakes a tree to get rid of things that aren't sturdy and grafted into the tree. It's in the battle to defend our inheritance and to defend our blessings and our inheritance that the inheritance becomes more sweet and precious. If we don't fight for something, then we won't sustain something. If what you developed and what you have nurtured and built for seven years in mobility, if you won't fight for that, then you will not sustain it past the seven years. We won't fight for something, we won't sustain something. And if you won't fight for something, then when you end up losing it and the privileges that it provided, then all you're left with is an attitude of entitlement. Oh, this is what we did, this is what we did, this is who we were, this is... Listen, there's always going to be conflict, there's always going to be a foe, but there's always going to be a guardian, there's always going to be a banquet. You got that? There's always going to be conflict. Always going to be a foe, but there's always a guardian and always the banquet. Last night, the Lord reminded me something, and I just wanted to share it with you in closing. 
I think I've said that thing about closing about five times so far. These are called nuggets from my table. It was three years ago. Actually, our story goes way back longer when about I'd been the pastor for about uh, three years at Faith Point or less, and I was looking at my window in my office, and I began just weeping because I knew the assignment that God had given us. I felt it deep down in here. And I looked at our property. We had 15 acres on the best place in town, but we could do nothing with it. We were in an ancient, I inherited this property and everything and the previous pastor administration had not foresaw uh, didn't have uh, did not purchase more land and didn't it was like okay let's just guard our 17 acres and and things were falling apart and it wasn't going with the city and my heart ached and I said God you put me here and and I don't have experience I was raised and mentored by three other pastors none of them were in, involved with building projects I don't know how to do a capital campaign I don't know how to do the rep. I was always supporting them how did you do why did you put me here God I have no idea all I can think of for this property our building is falling apart it looks horrible it doesn't match the vision you've given us the only thing I can think of father God is if you help us liquidate sell this property and with that cash Buy new property and start that way debt-free. Now, that was, that was 13 years ago. And in the process of time, we tried selling the property several times, and it only valued, I think, uh, max $3 million. Anyway, but I prayed that. And then it was, it was, two, it was three years ago that we put the, put the building on the market again because things were bad. There was no getting out of the fact that this place is falling apart and we couldn't raise any money. We put, the, put it on the market, and it was October 2015, and I was here preaching, and I was with Pastor Jade in his house, and I got a phone call, and, and I'm fixing to share with you about five or six nuggets that are on the table, because remember the table, it's always there. You don't have to go looking. Sometimes you don't realize it's there, so the Lord said, share these nuggets and show what I've done. So, I was here in, 2000, in October 2015, and, and we were about to eat or something, and I get a phone call from a prophet that had been in our life for years, and I hadn't heard from her in 10 years. Out of the clear blue, she calls. She goes, Scott, the Lord just told me to call you and tell you, don't budge. Don't budge. She goes, no matter how hard they try, don't budge. I said, anything else? She goes, no. I said, okay. Well, we had put the church on the market, and it had been on the market for three years, for a year, and only people who ever came to look at it and say, we want your church, were, uh, were people who had started to church. And, and I said, oh, great, a church. And they said, yeah. Well, I said, here's the price. They said, oh, no, God said that you're supposed to give it to us. That was the ones who would come and look at our church and everything. Oh, oh okay, okay. So, well, the price is, is $9 million. And that's what we were asking, nine, 9.8 or something like that. And, uh, and so we, a Fortune 300 company had, uh, had voiced interest. And so we had, uh, so, as, so what happened is I got this phone call from this prophet. And 20 minutes later, I get a phone call from our realtor. He said, listen, this Fortune 300 company from Virginia just called, and they're, they're offering $5 million for your property. And I thought, okay, thanks. I got home and I called a board meeting. I said, we have an offer. It's been on the table for a, a year, no action. We have somebody wanting to offer $5 million, but the Lord told me and confirmed it in my heart that we're not supposed to budge. And they all looked. They said, we're in total agreement. We follow you, Pastor. The next day, we told this company, and they laughed at us and mocked us, took the offer off the table. I looked up at the Lord. I said, 
Really? In 2018, uh, excuse me. <laughs> just jumping forward just a little bit. In April, in April 2016, a few months later, they call me back. Carmack says, okay, listen, we really do are interested in your property. We're coming back. And they made an offer, $6 million. They say, what do you counter? And we, we countered. We said, we said uh, it's nine, eight, uh, nine whatever. We're, we're willing to go. And we went down to uh, the Lord at that time released me. And he said, you can go to 7-2. And, uh, and we said 7.2. We were willing to go down to 7 million. So in uh, a year ago, this a year ago, July, we were at conference, and I faced the hardest thing in my life. Our finances were tanking at the church; things were getting really bad, and I was faced with having to make some critical decisions. And I had to lay off eight of my employees. Five of them were pastors. One of them was my own son, who I just put on staff, and who was his wife was pregnant. My heartbreak was sincere, and the Lord put something on the table I'm crying I'm weeping I'm hurting and Marsha's in the bathroom which we call the temple of the holy of holies the lamb of God's residence on earth when she is there at the at the sink putting on her makeup God is always talking to her he doesn't do that to me and I'm jealous but I'm, I'm sitting there in the bed and I'm and I'm I'm sitting here uh and suddenly she just I know that voice. She goes, Scott, come here, come here, come here, come here. God's in here, God's in here, God's in here. I'm just five feet away, God. I mean, I'm just around the corner in the bed. So I dive out and I go in there and Marsha, she said, God came in here. He walked around me and he touched me. And she said that he told me, this is me. This is me. I'm doing this. That was that nugget on the table, comfort. But at the same time, as soon as she says that, I get a text message from a friend of mine in Afghanistan, hadn't even been in our life, communicated with me. He says, God's got you, Scott. Exact same time. I'm telling you what, those were two nuggets on that table that gave me strength, and I needed it. I needed that because I didn't know that cutting those, one of those people that I cut was the one who made life miserable for me for a year. And it was the result of cutting him, but that was part of the Lord's plan. But I didn't know that was going to happen. We leave the next week, and we go to conference. We're in Washington, D.C. Reggie Dabbs is the speaker. I don't know if you know him. He's, uh, CNN has labeled him uh, the number one uh, youth speaker in America. And Reggie Dabbs spoke that night, and he's speaking to preachers. And he's, while he's preaching, I don't know, that day, I remember, Marsha didn't like it, but I wore a hat to church. And uh, I looked fly, I looked awesome, I looked really good. She, she, she was about to tell me not to wear it, and I remember she told me the Holy Spirit told her, let him be him. But I, it played into it, because that night Reggie Dabbs is speaking, and while he's speaking, he sees the guy in the hat. He comes over here, and he see, says something specific to me. To me, I know how God does. That was God saying, Scott, I've got a word for you tonight. I'm singling you out. Pay attention. So he begins speaking, and the Holy Ghost comes all over him. He goes, and this is 10 minutes in his message. He goes, man, he goes, I am here speaking to preachers, but you guys are the heroes. He just began pouring into us. He said, I want you all to say this with me. We win. We win. We win. I want you all to say that. We win. We win. We win. By that evening, we had said as a church, as pastors, we win. We said it about 50 or 60 or 70 times. And he spoke into my spirit, 
we win. So I left that night, and I, I knew in my spirit we win. Well, the next day I'm having lunch, and I get an email, and the email is from my realtor. And he says, Scott, here's an email I wanted to forward you from uh, the CEO of this Fortune 300 company that we've been offering. And the headline of his, the first line of his email was, okay, the church has won. I still, I've saved it. I saved it. It said, the church has won. We accept the $7.2 million offer. That was one of the nuggets on the table. That was the thing that blessed me. Then the real pain and the betrayal happened as a mass exodus swept over our church. And once again, as it's exodus, exodus city taking place, the Lord shows up in the Holy of Holies again. Marsha's doing her makeup. She goes, Scott, the Lord's here. And I dive in there. And she said, the Lord told me that he has to drain the pond. He said, it's like a pond. And, as, and he's draining and the people are leaving, Scott. He says, he knows it hurts your heart. But as people are leaving, it's exposing things that wouldn't have been exposed. Yeah, he said, I had to do that to show who the deceiver was and get rid of some stuff. And, and her question was, Will the, will the pond be filled back? And the Lord said, I will fill the pond back. We left, that was a nugget on the table. We left for vacation the next day and I needed a week in the sun on the beach. More than you can know. More than a drowning air, a drowning man needs water. No, air, air, air. <laughs> Bad metaphor. God just spoke to me, said, leave the metaphors to me, Scott. Just, just preach the word, okay? <laughs> yeah, I needed this time on the beach so I was disappointed when we were riding on our way to a three-hour trip down to Galveston, and it's pouring. Pouring, the kind of pour that the cloud is so big, you know this is a, a weak soaker. And I was disappointed, and I was almost angry of God. And I thought, God, you know I needed the beach. I needed some. And Marcia says, Scott, every, when we're driving through Brenham, every pond that we drove past was overflowing. Every one. She goes, Scott, look. Everyone, 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 it had been such a downpour that in just one hour, ponds were overflowing. He said, Scott, and I said, let it pour, God. I need your word. These are, these are nuggets that are on the table, and I'm telling you, you may want this big boom, but God has a table prepared for you. Look over the last year, munch on those nuggets that he's got for you, and I want to tell you right now with this very last picture, I'd like to show this last picture, which is Monday a week ago. This is us celebrating with our check for $7.2 million as our property just sold. It sold, and we have the goods. We have it. We're about to, we buy our property. We buy our property, pay cash. We paid off our loans. We pay off any expenses. We're in the, build, we're in the building process right now. And this is the mission. We're able to do things that we never could have done before. I want you to look at the year that you went through. I want you to look at the things that tried to divert your attention from the assignment. And I want to tell you, Antioch, stay focused. The Lord has a table before you. I want you to enjoy it. Get on it. But heal up, church. Heal up in the name of Jesus. I want you all to join hands with the person around you right now. And I want to pray, and then we're going to close this, and we're going to have communion. Father, I want to thank you right now for those that are in your presence that are all surrounded by your enemies. Oh, look at them, Lord. Some of them don't know to stand or sit up, so let's just clarify this. Stand. Talk about unity right there. 
Every, every, every eye closed, every head bowed. And if you are one of those ones that's got some of those stress fractures, as Marsha was talking about, if there's events that have taken place that have left you bruised, if they've left you shaken, if there's issues, whatever it is, I just want you to squeeze the hand of the person next to you so they can partner with you in prayer right now. I want you to squeeze that hand. Yeah. Yeah, I got some issues. Mm, I want this healed up because I want to be a part of this assignment. I want to be whole going into this building campaign. I want to be whole. I don't want to be holding back my finances. I don't want to be holding back my faith. I don't want to be holding back my courage. I don't want to be holding back my volunteering. I don't want to be holding back my gift. I don't want to be holding back my yes to the Lord. I don't want to be holding back any part. I give everything, but God, I've got some stress fractures, and I need it healed. If that's you, squeeze that hand, and if your hand is squeezed, I want you all to join and lift that up in just a partnership. Lift that little union up right now. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. Heavenly Father, right now, these points of stress, in the name of Jesus, I speak healing to them. These points of stress throughout the skeletal frame of Antioch Church, in the name of Jesus, Father, we trade that stress for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Thank you, Lord, for the nuggets, the food, the blessing on a prepared table. Thank you, Lord God, that there is not one person in this place, from the pastor down to the laity and every single facet of leadership nobody father was accidentally placed in this body nobody was accidentally brought into the body of Christ you divinely ordained them and Lord you have an assignment for this church and father I speak blessings over that assignment I speak life into this church I speak life into these places that there's fracture I speak healing I speak deliverance I speak joy I speak wholeness I speak purpose I speak promise and I speak an absolution father God in their promise. Thank you, Lord, for the building. And thank you, Father, for more of a building than they can even expect. Thank you, Lord God, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. The enemy will lose those that he's got to hold on because of those that held on during the shaking. I give you glory. Now, Father, I pray strength on the root system here at Antioch. I pray, Father God, that you would cause those subterranean levels to reach down deep and draw the nurture of the minerals and the soil that you have wrapped around them. I pray, Father, for the fire of the Holy Ghost to continue to burn out any chaff. I pray, Father, that the spirit wind would blow any of that chaff away. And, Father, for that raw, exposed fruit, I pray healing. I pray, Lord God, for those raw places to be healed, Lord Jesus. Father, that there would maintain a sensitivity, but they wouldn't draw back like a raw nerve exposed to cold wind. But Father God, that they would be the master, Father, of what you're doing in their life. I thank you, Jesus. Stir up the gifts. Let them flow. Let them flow. Let them flow. Let them flow. Father, don't be far from them. Father, I pray that even when it seems like it's the dark night of the soul and you're nowhere to be found, let them find the fruit on the table and I give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give him a praise offering.